0: the We to honor
1: We to Welcome, Sarah. We oh, are Ethel, I don't see you, Ethel. Welcome, Ethel. Now I know that when it says Ethel, it's you. So welcome. You don't want to see me. My oh. hair is all in curlers, and I just wash my hair. I saw now. Ethel. Then I remembered, oh, yeah, you told me last time you were just Ethel. like, okay, it must be you. Okay, so my guests are Sarah.
0: Thank you so I'll much. I'll give you a sir. quick look, and then you'll see why, okay? <laughs> right
2: whoops. No, I
1: can't see
0: you.
1: Do oh. you want to see me? Oh, with your curlers. I love it. I love it. Oh, you. Anybody else
3: have you? trouble getting on today?
1: Sarah, was it a problem getting on? No, I,
3: I had a little problem. I don't know what happened. Okay. Did Jeffrey, did you know of any
4: problem? Oh, I know a lot, so I'm really yeah. upset. I'm staying quiet, but I'm very there upset. There are a lot of problems today. All right. You what's know, the What's the meeting ID that you use to get into the end at the last four digits?
3: You're asking me? I don't know, but I will tell you that. Um, Zola, what you you... Zola, what do you it's have? Zola, what do you have?
1: Wait a minute, hold on. I'll tell you what
4: I did. Oh, God.
3: It said it was the April 16th meeting. And I knew I that. Know, I know, meeting. I know,
4: I know, I know, I know. I'm uh-huh. Yeah, i are going to lose our crowd. So. I'll so tell sorry. you in a minute. I
1: have to see if I could find it. Oh,
5: okay.
1: okay. Oh, I, from Zola, it was 3085C. But that was Facebook. It said a face. Oh,
4: oh, I need that one. You, OK.
1: You need this one? Should I copy? No, let, it? let me let me just give you guys the link. OK, you have. What, happened
4: to, what happened to Zola? Wait a minute. Sarah, you
1: have a She's good here. link. Ava,
4: did you Mute. which link Sorry. did you use to get in? Yo, we're having some problems with links today.
6: Two of us have sent it to you on the chat.
4: OK, and, and Ava, what did you use?
6: The last two ones did not work. So I had to go to a previous one. Let me check. I need to check which one. Uh Let me see. 9534,
3: is that right? That's today. Yes. Um, That's correct. that's the one I did finally use.
7: Yes, the-
6: I may have used the February twenty-seven, but I'm not so sure. Yeah, February twenty-seven, I think. Link.
1: Yeah.
4: All right, hold on a minute. I'm going to do something. I'm going to be back in a minute. Okay. okay.
1: Yeah, That's there was a problem. I, like I couldn't even get in, and I tried. I had to try three different ways.
3: Yeah, the other one was five zero four one, Jeffrey.
4: All right, Thank you.
1: Can I
6: put it as a comment in the circle community?
4: Yeah, that would be good. Just let me don't say anything to me. I need to do something. Okay. So just let me be quiet and I'll be right I'm right back.
1: Yes, we usually have this huge group
3: and well, like I said, I had problems getting in today, so I don't know.
2: Yeah, there's a problem.
1: Hi, Ruth. I got caught in traffic. Well, there's some technological problems today getting in. You, you had no problem getting into the link. No, I
8: didn't. But I couldn't find it at first because um, I went to one of the others. And I, I really, there was so much information that to find the zoom link was a little difficult Mm -hmm. but i did but it took a while
5: okay i
6: just i just posted it in the back to the newsroom the community newsroom i'm going to try and do it in the live events if it takes a post
8: It's usually in blue, you know, so when I find it, but this time it was in red or orange and it was a dark background and it took me a while to find it. So it may not look like that on other people's screens. I don't know.
1: It was...
8: You need to be consistent each
6: time. It needs to look the same.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, Jeff. Jeff is... Trying to I think that
6: out. was his intention.
1: Well, it's-
8: I I know things don't always work the way we want them to, but um, it's just a suggestion.
1: Yeah, we're definitely. I,
8: I have I I kept looking because I figured I'd get there somewhere, and I kept all of Jeffrey's um, emails. So I went eventually found one I could, I could open and do it.
1: It's interesting, Sari, You came it on. it just and needs you to. A- you haven't been before, but you're very technologically savvy, so maybe.
7: Yes, I saw that the link was a, it was a miss, um somebody configured the wrong link. It was a Facebook link, so I copied the text. Me too. <laughs> we'll
6: get there. And welcome, everybody.
7: Yes,
1: welcome.
3: And how are you? People are missing.
6: Fine. I've got my nighttime face on. I can't get the coloring to be beautiful and natural like yours because I've got lights. It's nighttime in South Africa.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: that's oh, that's true. true. Yeah, but
6: that's at least true. we have power at this moment. Oh my! Did we have three. Platform? We have three. Sometimes three blackouts of about two and a half hours each
7: is that for planned maintenance or something or is it they have no
6: it's a political issue oh no it's government issues and long story not maintaining our electrical power plants
9: exactly. efficiently
6: do they give you a notice when you're going to be out they mostly do there is a kind of a schedule but subject to change depending on how much usage Okay. is happening you know we've got different stages for each day all right I just sounds like california
4: i just sent out a corrected broadcast email to everyone so we'll see how we go all right we're going to we go. just we're going to start the program and well, with, we
1: can always uh show it again when everything's corrected do you so. want to
7: stop the recording and restart the recording so it doesn't have all the technological funds um
1: uh, all
4: right thank my, you everyone <laughs> this is jeffrey geisner for the Jewish Culture and Holocaust Remembrance Group. I am so honored to uh, start our programming today. This is the first of our Yom HaShoah 2023 programs. And for those who have been with me from the very beginning of the group, which started in May of 2021, um, I have dedicated all of these Yom HaShoah programs to my parents and they're very dear and special to me. And they do take sometimes up to, six to 12 months to create. We have a very fantastic program and I'm hoping we'll have lots of people who will eventually come in. If not, the show is recorded and we'll be able to see it on recording. So I wanna get started um, with a a special um, candle lighting, which I do, so I'm going to switch
2: And where am I?
4: So I am have a yard site candle here, which I'm going to be saying yard site for everyone. Um, and um, I have a, just give me a second. Well, I'm going to, nothing's going right today. So I want to say, granting peace, uh, peace, welfare, blessings, grace, loving kindness, and mercy unto us and to all Israel and to its people. Bless us, our Father, even all of us together with the light of thy countenance, you thou has given us, O Lord, O God, and law of life, loving kindness, and the righteousness, blessing, mercy, life, peace, and maybe be in good faith. Ba- And may it be in thy sight to bless us and the people Israel of all times and every hour in thy peace. Amen. Amen. And this is what the observant in Israel for Yom HaShoah day. Mm-hmm. And welcome to the Jewish Culture and Holocaust Remembrance Group. Uh, We have a new website that I would want you to uh, check us out. You can see me daily on that website. It's jchrnow.com. We're presenting the first of three Yom HaShoah series programs dedicated to my parents. The other two are on April 16th and April 23rd. Today's program is called Remembrance Through Art and Music, featuring Zola Schumann, Robin E. Bernstein, Judith Tellerman, and special readings from poet Ursula Duba's book Inherited Pain and Defective Genes, which I'll be reading. I apologize for my froggy throat. I was really without a throat, without a voice just two days ago, so it's coming back. I want to um, also read something here. First, they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not Jewish. Then they came for the Muslims and I did not speak out because I was not a Muslim. Then they came for the black people and I did not speak out because I was not black. Then they came for the LGBTQ community and I did not speak out because I wasn't one of them. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out for me. So I am going to now move to um, introducing our first speaker and presenter with her beautiful intro. So um, I'm going to be introducing uh, Zola
9: Schumann. There will come a day,
0: and there
10: will come a night when everything around you.
4: Okay.
1: He's barking.
4: Oh, my dog. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's at the front door and he goes crazy. Okay, so uh, I'm going to introduce uh, Zola uh, Schumann, who's coming from Cape Town, South Africa. And is the daughter of two Vilna-born Holocaust survivors. Her father, Israel Yutan, AKA Xavier Ataka, was a journalist. Sorry, was a journalist and her mother was a legendary Yiddish singer, comedian uh, Yehila Rosenthal. Her uncle, Leib Rosenthal, was killed two days before liberation, was a well-known poet and songwriter who's better known has better known songs written in the film Geta, ghetto, Ich bin Achaim, and Mirleben Ebeck, and Yizrolek are still being sung around the world today. Zola is accomplished singer, stage performer, recording artist, and Billboard a winning songwriter. She has released a number of original music albums, and also is a teacher, educator, content editor, and performance coach. In sharing the legacy of her family, Zola often performs her mother's and uncle's Yiddish songs. And in 2019, Zola wrote her first Yiddish English song entitled, uh, We Remember You as a tribute to all survivors, their families lost and the promise of future generations. This song has been featured in many international Yama show events, been performed and recorded by others, and still and it's featured the theme song in a new documentary film about the Holocaust survivors. Wow. Zola, it's so great to have you uh, with us again. so thank you for being with here. And I want to uh, let everyone know also that uh, Zola's performance is going to be our presentation is becoming is going to come through video. Uh, Cape Town South Africa is having rolling blackouts as we speak and um, so I am going to um, play the full video for Zola. And Zola is here with us live, obviously, but she will be uh, partaking in the video and then we'll come back later. So uh, give me a second and we'll do this.
7: My name is Zola, and I am the daughter of two Holocaust survivors, Chayla and Israel, well, later known as Zavia, who were born in Vilna in Poland. My father, Israel Newton, was born in 1919, and he was the only child of Zacharias, a highly respected medical doctor and city councilor, and Vava Goldman, who was a feisty Russian Jewess. My grandparents, whom I never met, were divorced when my father was very young. Zacharias remarried, and my father lived in both homes as a child. As a child, my father was great at sports but he preferred stamp collecting and writing. He was editor of his school magazine and as a teenager began publishing short stories in the newspaper. Soon after my father's bon mitzvah, his mother went to live in Paris, but my father visited her often. And during one of his visits to her, he stayed longer and attended Paris's Ecole Supérieure de Journalisme, university college to study journalism. My grandfather Zacharias really wanted my father to become a doctor too. As an only child wanting to please his father, my dad applied for and won a scholarship to study medicine at Columbia University in New York. But with Zionist ideals, he also applied for and was accepted into the Haifa Technical College to study journalism in Palestine. Unfortunately, my father attended neither as his father suffered a heart attack. He survived, but he was now sickly. And so my father chose to stay in Vilna to care for him. My father began working as a journalist and he covered sports and cultural events for the local paper. One assignment he remembers so fondly was at City Hall. He was to write about a 15-year-old girl, Chaela Rosenthal. Who was performing a lovely yiddish song written by her older brother Leib rosenthal he thought she was amazing and that song soon became a hit on the radio my father wrote an excellent review and a year later wrote a story for the newspaper youth truth about that same young jewish girl who had just won a national singing competition and had been chosen by the vilna cultural association to represent Vilna in an upcoming International Folk Song Festival to be held in Russia. It was 1941 and Chayla never made it to Russia. Just days before she was meant to leave, the Germans invaded Poland. My mother was born into a richly cultural family. Her father, Nachum, owned a printing shop And he was the owner-editor of the Uvent Kuria daily Yiddish newspaper. Her older brother Leib was a political activist and satirical writer, songwriter, and poet. Leib was also part of the Jung Vilna Literary Society, and at the age 14, already had a book of his poetry published. His poems along with stories and articles that he would write were regularly published in the local newspapers too. He wrote many scripts and songs for the Maidin Yiddish puppet theater where my still school-going mother also sang and did voiceovers too. While my mother excelled at maths and science gymnastics and ice skating and even tutored other students in her class she loved singing the most and she could regularly be heard on the radio singing her brother's songs until one was drowned out her voice interrupted by the incoming german stucker planes flying over the beloved city Vilna. two days later her father was forced out of his home and marched to the Ponari forest, never to be seen again. And not long thereafter, my mother, together with her mother, brother and sister, were taken out of their homes too. They were forced into the Vilna ghetto. My mother in the ghetto was just a 17-year-old girl but very soon earned the wonderful title songstress of hope, Wunderkind star of the Vilna ghetto. Despite the awful conditions in the ghetto, her sweet, soulful and joyful personality shone through when she performed her songs on the stage of the ghetto theater. She would lift spirits and provide hope, bringing back good memories of home, of love, and even laughter and thus she inspired the free and releasing emotional expression of all her audiences. The theater was a place where the community could come together for comfort and support, where their feelings, fears, and thoughts were validated, where they could laugh together at the absurdity of their situation. And it was a place where their humanity and dignity was restored, even if only for an hour or so at a time. The theater productions and songs also provided a much needed distraction and a temporary escape from the pain and the suffering and the harsh reality of daily life in the ghetto. Because the Jews had lost so many family and friends, killed in the and massacred in the Penari forest. The idea of performing music and theater in the ghetto was initially met with much opposition by many who claimed you do not play theater in a graveyard. But the Judenrath leader, Jacob Gens, knew that it would be good for the spiritual morale of the community and that it would also save lives. A theater would provide legitimate work and work permits for actors, writers, musicians, artists, and more. And so the concerts began, and from the start, they proved to be sensitive, dignified, and uplifting enough to placate all those naysayers. It soon became clear that the community largely benefited greatly in many ways from the establishment of musical, theatrical, and other cultural events. The first performances were held in the Rudnica Street school hall where the Judenrat had their offices. But soon due to the increasing number of audiences, the theatre was then moved to the old municipal hall on Konska Street with an official opening of this Vilna Ghetto Theatre in April 1942. It was sponsored by the Judenrat's cultural department. Initially, audiences were made up of the administrative elite and German officers. But soon Jacob Gens realized that he could also use the reviews as an opportunity to promote his work for life agenda, which he began to do in the opening speeches he gave to the audiences that were now open to all inmates. Theater performances included symphony concerts choir events and four full-length dramatic plays.
9: One play titled Grinnefelder Felder had my mother playing the leading female role.
5: Here are some
7: posters advertising some of the music concerts and other cultural and literary events that took place in the ghetto. These are a few of the 200 posters that were discovered after the war. The first few music variety concerts held in the theater included unrelated musical pieces, some orchestrations led by the conductor Wolf Durmaschkin, choir performances, puppet shows, songs, poetry, and theatrical readings. These individual programs were only performed once. This is the poster from the very first music concert in which my mother performed the song Yisroelik that was written in the ghetto by her brother and Misha Belksler, who composed the music. This is one of the more well-known songs to emerge from the ghetto and is still sung by many today. While in the ghetto, Laib's song lyrics focused on ghetto life and Yisroelik, which means little Israel, referenced the nickname given to orphans. There were many orphan children in the ghetto, children whose parents were taken away and killed in the Aktion. The orphan boys who had to fend for themselves survived as smugglers on the black market, selling cigarettes or saccharine. Leib's boy Yisroelik tells of how, despite his sad situation, he would rather whistle and sing his song than dwell on his sorrows. And though he often felt alone, like a field in the wind, he still knew that he wasn't born in the streets and that he missed his parents, parents he had that once loved him. He tells others, better us, better we don't talk about our sorrow. Just think about tomorrow. These sentiments, so many inmates could relate to. And I've heard many survivors say that it was their theme song in the ghetto. And even years later, when they thought back about their experiences, they were all children who lost their family. They were all little Israelis.. <laughs>
11: The and the A very a brutal and something. and a a good I'm going to go the i to the to
9: I darle
11: todo on rest Heil Rosenthal. you, who is going as a child went to the ghetto and in order to survive I joined a youth theater which was organized in the ghetto for the inmates and my brother was a very well-known poet and writer and he started to write songs for me and I sang them to the inmates and they were song of
5: courage not to give in protest Alger, and humor. We Jewish people have got such a strength in ourselves that we can laugh at ourselves in the greatest choice what we
11: have. <laughs>
0: What has been?
11: Leica beck, perchet, and remero. Unparti, percerra, remero. Singazori, <laughs> viz, <laughs> til, 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 you, 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 Batu Then Oh, so i have to tell you that they tried to crush us. They did not succeed. We are celebrating and continue and go from strength to strength. And the most important thing, we
7: must not forget. Thank you for listening to me. My uncle Naib also wrote songs for the youth club, the Jugend Club, that held special events and social meetings. He mostly wrote his poetry and his songs at night. By day, Leib's job was working at Hebel, the Jewish scientific institute. He was hired because he was fluent in German, and he was to transcribe lists, cataloging important Jewish literature, manuscripts and books that were to be shipped away to Germany, to be destroyed, or to be archived as evidence of a Yiddish culture. Lay and some other workers and literary writer friends, including the poets Kashaginsky and Sutskava, who all later became known as the Paper Brigade, began to save valuable manuscripts, books and documents by hiding them and giving them to trusted poles and smuggling them into the ghetto to hide in sewers, basement walls and other secret places. Talmudic scripts, books, and other precious literature were used in the still functioning Strashun Library, in the synagogue services, and at special events hosted by the Literary Club. The event celebrating the lending of the 100,000th book from the library is depicted in this poster. The event was described by 13-year-old Yitzchak Rudzishevsky in his diary, where he wrote, looking at the exhibition, we actually forget that we are in a dark ghetto. The mood of the celebration was an exalted one. It was indeed a holiday, a demonstration on behalf of Yiddish literature and culture. Shirley Gilbert noted in her book on music in the Holocaust, that just in the Vilna ghetto alone, Over 40 new Yiddish songs were written, probably more. Many of these were featured in the original full-length musicals known then as Reviews. There were four such reviews, written predominantly by Kazriel Broido, Misha Wexler, and My Uncle Naib. The first review, titled Korone Yoran, Unbeid Suditeg, Years of Corn and Days of Woe. And the second review, Men Can Gornischt Wissen, You Can Never Know, were written in 1942. In general, the storyline texts and the song lyrics of each review followed and incorporated the current experiences, events, and feelings of the ghetto life and their inmates as the days and the months went by. The theme of loneliness, isolation, and despair in the ghetto was very evident in Leib's song Schottens, Shadows, first sung by Dora Rubina, and also in Kasriel's Broido song, by uns ist ständig finster, it is always dark with us. But Leib was also known to use his wit at humor and satire to allow audiences to laugh at the craziness of their own dreadful circumstances. Like in the song, Men darf sich kennen halten. You have to know how to behave. In general, the song themes and lyrics very often expressed what the inmates could not or dared not say out loud. But there were also songs to inspire hope and the determination to survive. Like in Leib's song, nicht gedeigend. es wird sein besser don't despair it will get better in the song ich bin schon lang nicht i haven't been here in a while the song tells the story of the distribution of the work permits the yellow shame the audiences were also reminded of their once familiar normal life's warm feelings of romance, joy, humor, and more, with songs like, "As a spiel, all about a love affair, A von a Ghetto the love of a ghetto girl,
9: and Echobzich I fell madly in love.
7: Other popular songs include Schmerke Kashegitz's beautiful song Spring, spring, written after the death of his wife.
9: my Troy.
7: Take away my sorrow. And his song Stille, Stille, Hush, Hush. Stille, Stille, no Schweigen. Let's be quiet. Where the music was composed by an 11 year old boy. Ali Volkovisky, and also in Schmerke's song, Dos Eltne Kind," The Lonely Child. Abraham Sutzke was song, Unter Deine Weiße Sterne," Under Your White Stars, where the music was composed by Avron Brudno, and Hirsch Glick's song, Zog nit kemol as du dem letzte weg don't say you're going on your last journey, are also still popular and still some today. In staying current with ghetto experiences, the third review titled Pesha von Resha, written in June of 1943, referred to the Jews who had just been sent to the Vilna Ghetto from Resha, another camp 30 kilometers away. The title role of Pesha was played by my mother, Chayla. Pesha, the character, realizes that to stay alive, she must be strong and cheerful, even though she is lonely and homeless, all the while pretending to be part of a family of strangers just so that she can get a work permit. She sings about her crazy, abnormal life, where sisters pretend to be brothers, Grandmothers act like children and strangers pretend to be married. But when Chayla, as Pesha, sang the song Ich He, I Long for Home, everyone related to those shared feelings of mourning, of loss, and longing for home that so many expellees and all those who had arrived in Vilna from other ghettos felt. And even the
9: German soldiers. Attending the concerts, Pride. Right.
10: Then lenched me still is gross than Schwung when you are young, desire burns. You live and learn to fly, only to find you can't return. Verlost, vergess dein Heng, dein Nest. Die Zeit kommt nicht zurück. Wenn's kommt die Eltern, tust du sich der Mond und brachst. Was What is geschehen? What happened? Ich will noch einmal sein, mein Heim. Sie ist doch dort wie gewähl. Viel went a und a bank, hat left my childhood over there. Just as it used to be back then Munch Nester's paintings on the wall the rug I trot on in the hall.
7: Being sent out of the ghetto to camps in Estonia and beyond, the song Pack Zich Ein, Pack Up, resonated so strongly as it was time to pack again a little suitcase and leave to places of fate unknown. But everyone still sang the song with new hopes that perhaps they would soon be liberated. Leib's song dry, which means ahead one, two, three, became the anthem of the progressive Jewish youth. And it was also one of the main stirring songs of defiance, resistance, and optimism that the partisans took with them into the woods, singing as they marched. Because coming to the theater created a legitimate place, for many of the community to come together at once. The writers would sometimes cleverly hide phrases in their scripts that would share important news, highlight acts of corruption, or give information about underground meetings, organized resistance, or even divulge escape plans. The fourth and final review, Oyshe Haltzich, Oyshe Hold On, was written and performed in the autumn of 1943, just as more prisoners were being deported to labour camps outside the ghetto. Moishe, the character, concerned that he would not be able to hide or escape the ghetto is encouraged in an uplifting title song to hold his head high and to keep believing that freedom was coming and to keep striving for a better tomorrow. Right up to the last days of the Volna Ghetto before its liquidation, the audiences came to this review and despite wondering if the next day would be their last, they all sat in the theater and sang along to the inspiring lyrics that held the promise of freedom, ultimate victory,
9: and vindication. Leib's song Mir Leben Ebek, We Live Forever, shows
7: the strength and the courage of the people who, in face of such suffering and hardship, proudly sang, We will survive and overcome and thrive. We will live forever. And yes, despite our enemies trying to destroy us,
9: Mirzain and Dor, we are here.
5: We live forever.
7: The world's ablaze.
5: We live
10: forever without money these days. We'll show the enemy we will not play their game and we will not hide our faces in shame. We'll live forever. Here we all are. We'll live forever in every hour. We want to live and to survive. Bad times will overcome and thrive. We'll live forever. We are still here. Mir leben ewig. Es brennt der Welt. Mir leben ewig. On a broschen Geld. Und euch ze buken nicht die alles um nimm, was uns. We are not going und be able to do it. do
6: songs,
7: remembered and later written down by survivors, today provide important historical evidence as they chronicled the people's pain and suffering, their resilience and defiance, the humiliation, the terror and morale, the triumphs over tragedy and loss, their prayers and dreams of a better tomorrow beyond those walls, their hopes, courage and heroism despite their fears of imminent death, and yes, even their remarkable sense of humor. The courage, will, and powerful spiritual resistance of so many inmates of the Galna Ghetto was evident in their determination to keep schools going, to keep the Sabbath, to celebrate their rich cultural life, the Jewish holidays, and in continuing to create music and art in the face of unimaginable tragedy, obstacles, and adversity. The Vilna Ghetto was liquidated in September, 1943, 18 years ago from the time of this presentation. My uncle Leib was sent to Kap Kluga in Estonia, where he was killed just days before its liberation. My mother, her sister, and her mother were sent off to Kaiserwald, where my mother's mother was killed upon arrival. Both my mother and her sister survived the labor and concentration camps, as well as the death march to the Baltic Sea. They were thankfully liberated on the beach by Russian soldiers in March of 1945. My father, who had also survived the camps, and the death march was liberated near Launberg, and he was told that there were some Vilna girls in an abandoned house nearby. He and his friends went there to invite the girls to rather come and stay at their place because Russian soldiers were taking advantage of the Jewish girls. It was there that he found my mother, whom he recognized and introduced himself to. Within a few days, she was riddled with typhoid fever and he nursed her back to health and into love. They soon decided that they would start a new life together and they were determined to make it a positive, happy one. And they vowed to uplift others every day. My parents settled in an apartment in the pretty Hirschberg resort town, Yelenia Gora. My father had a chance meeting with an old editor that knew him from before the war, and he was able to secure for my father new identity documents mm. with a new name and a new job. His new name, which was taken from his nom de plume, Xavier Piatka, also known as Xaveri. My father became the editor of the local newspaper. My mother immediately joined the Yiddish State Theatre Group that traveled throughout Poland and Europe, doing many, many concerts and performances on stage. My mother also visited the various displaced persons camps scattered across the region, doing performances for them. It was during one of these performances that my mother met Molly Pickon, the famous American Yiddish star who was visiting the DP camps. And when Molly saw my mother performing, she was so impressed, that she was determined to arrange papers for my mother to get out of Poland and to bring her to America. Molly came through and new travel documents arrived and my parents went on to live in Paris where my mother performed in Yiddish clubs, radio and television and recorded her first record albums. While the plan was ultimately to reach and settle in the USA, my mother was invited to perform as a guest Yiddish artist in South Africa. When she got to Cape Town, she fell in love with the beauty and the climate and the friendly people. And so in 1951, my parents made Cape Town, South Africa, their new home. In South Africa, my mother continued to perform in Yiddish and English productions and did many one woman music concerts and comedy shows and a dramatic series on television. My mother also continued to travel overseas, performing all around the world, including Israel and as leading lady in Jacob Jacobs's Yiddish Productions on Broadway. Sadly, my mother passed away from cancer at age 54, just days after her final performance as the best Yiddish mama, Golda, in Fiddler on the Roof she is still remembered and missed by so many whose lives she changed for the better and whose lives she saved through her music and her caring and for those on whose faces she put so many smiles. I encourage you to listen to her songs on YouTube and to read more about her and about my father and uncle Leigh on the website I created, chayla.wordpress.com. You can also read about their lives in my sister's book, No Goodbyes, a father-daughter memoir of love, war and resurrection by Nava Piatka. No Goodbyes, a title fitting for so many loved ones were taken away before there was time to say goodbye. There is also a full length musical on YouTube that you can watch. That my sister wrote and performed in about my mother's life. It's called Better Don't Talk. My sister was the torchbearer and the family Holocaust storyteller until she passed away in 2009. And so, while I've always performed since childhood, singing and writing songs, continuing the legacy of my mother and my uncle's music. I mostly stuck to writing songs in English and working on children's music and jazz songs. It was only in 2010 that I began to sing in Yiddish, to sing my uncle and my mother's songs. And it was in 2019 that I wrote my first song that incorporated their mother tongue Yiddish, a song I wrote as a tribute to them and to honor all survivors. Our families lost, their families lost, and as a promise to future generations. It is titled "Hzisu."
9: Listen, we will remember you.. <laughs>
10: sich sübemerzinger will es gela in unsere herzen mit leitem von eierleben herztzu bis seinen eienkinden wir singen eierlieder so lieb ich wir seinen doch we are here because of you we'll tell your story live your dreams and sing your song Faith and hope with voices proud and strong. The world will know your life, your life, your legacy lives on. So, we will remember you. You're with us everywhere we go hold you safely in our hearts, we'll share with future generations, all the lessons of your past, all your suffering and losses, and the pain that you've been through, will never be forgotten, hence of soon, we'll tell your story, live your dreams, and sing your song with courage, faith, and hope, with voices proud and strong. The world will know your life, your love, your legacy lives on. Heavens if soon. we will remember you. We have cried in all our tears the sadness of your darkest years. But the joy in your survival gives us life. Mir well and nicht vergessen, not forget. Mir well and I will gedenken. think. we So live will tell your story. Live your dreams and sing your song with courage, faith, and hope. With voices proud and strong. The world will know your life, your love, your legacy of song. we will remember you. Hence, we will remember.
4: Terrific, terrific. And I gotta say, uh, Zola, this is one of the most beautiful, it's a mitzvah, what you've put together here for your parents. And I think your parents are watching and I could say that my parents are watching as well and and just felling over the beautiful uh, picture and video that you've just put together. And it'll live forever because this program has been recorded. And anybody who came in late who wants to hear the program, it will be streamed on YouTube and on jcrnow.com tomorrow. Uh, and Zoe, you've been with me for now two years in a row on the Yoma Shoa <laughs> program. And everyone who's here can understand completely why. And I'm in tears every time I hear that song. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I want to, before we get to Robin's presentation, I wanted to let you know that I also uh, have another very dear friend um, who has contributed tremendous works, Ursula Duba, who actually is not Jewish, but has uh, studied the Holocaust. She was from Germany. Uh, Her little quick background is she didn't even know that the Holocaust took place until she met a Jewish boy uh, while she was in a summer uh, camp who told her about the Holocaust and it changed her life. And so she wrote several books and I'm going to be reading essays from her. She gave me permission. She was going to come today and read her poetry today. She has presented to our group in the past along with Ruth, actually. She was with Ruth in a program directly. Um, So I'm going to be reading uh, three essays, giving time allotment. The first one's called Non-Not Fixable. And I apologize for my froggy voice. In Germany, everything is fixable. There is no tolerance for anything broken, deteriorated by age, shabby, or dilapidated. A a shingle missing, a nail sticking out, a loose latch on a garden door, a light bulb burned out, a tear in the curtain, a missing button, paint flaking off, rust on a car, hammer, screwdriver, sandpaper, paintbrush, needle, thread, are always at the ready, and when something can't be fixed, it's replaced with something new. Consequently, there are few worn steps, sagging fences, weathered walls, or any signs of decay. After all, all broken things are a sign of slothliness, a defective character which is considered much worse than being unkind. Half a century after the end of World War II or the Holocaust, and the total devastation of the country there is no visible traces left of the 12 years ruled by hitler whom he had cheered whom they had cheered followed and obeyed whose proclamation of their racial superiority they had enthusiastically embraced and whose extermination of millions they had willingly participated and which caused almost total destruction of their own country But to to their dismay, the diligent use of hammers, screwdrivers, paintbrushes, and sandpaper has been ineffectual in erasing the records of atrocities committed. In other countries, books are published about the 1,000-year Reich and memorial services held for the victims. Museums are built to confront the horrors of the past conventions organized to understand the failing of a civilized country into barbarity, what it is, you want us, what is it that you want us to do? They ask repro- reproachfully, looking at our young people weighed down by guilt, looking at lectures organized by Christian Jewish societies, the program arranged by German Israeli societies, the efforts by third generation undertaking with such dedication to combat anti Semitism and racism, the many sister city connections in towns in Israel, many groups and individuals who visit Israel, and makes them furious that the world outside, by which they mean primarily Israel and the Jews in America, is still focused on the past. And they are angry that nobody wants to see the wonderful accomplishments of past 50 years in a rebuilt Germany. Why is everybody still beating the dead horse, they ask angrily, and why do they refuse to forget after all the money we paid them? They can't understand that no amount of fine speeches or good deeds, youth groups performing lowly tasks in Israeli nursing homes or doing backbreaking work on the Kitsu kibbutzim town officials and issuing invitations to former citizens to come back to their homes towns as guests of honor lavishing with attention nothing absolutely nothing will erase the terrible stain of that country's history the stain caused by the one and a half million jewish children starved to death gassed or shot at the target shot at target practice the four and a half million adult jews the hundreds of thousands gypsies and Jehovah Witnesses, the mentally and physically disabled, murdered cannot be expunged. It's hard for them to accept the Holocaust is not forgettable. The Holocaust is not erasable. The Holocaust is not fixable." Very, very powerful. And and Ursula doesn't pull any punches in her poetry. And I'm going to be happy to introduce now uh, our second presenter. And give me one second.
9: Robin Bernstein
4: was born in St. Louis, Missouri, into a distinctly non-artistic Jewish family. Luckily, music was played and encouraged, which lay the groundwork for creative and visual expression. Robin's grandparents were Yiddish-speaking immigrants from Russia and Ukraine, who came to America as children at the turn of the century. Robin studied art and biology as an undergraduate and earned her MFA in painting and drawing from the San Francisco Art Institute. She also has a teaching degree that spans 35 years, which includes college, junior high, and elementary school students. She's the founding and senior instructor at her own art studio. Robin and her husband have two children, now young adults. And so I wanna warmly welcome Robin to our presentations here at the Jewish Culture and Holocaust Remembrance Group. And I'm going to share your screen, Robin, and I'm going to bring up your presentation. Give me one second. And here we go. And Robin, I want to welcome you to the group. And um, why don't you take the uh, presentation from here?
12: Thank you so much, uh, Jeffrey. I'm honored to be here. Uh, Thank you, Zola, for your story. It's very important for us to know these things and uh, how wonderful that you're carrying the tradition of your family. Um, uh, I just want to start by, you know, uh, saying how much I appreciate Jeffrey, your efforts of this group, um, all of this telling, all of these projects important to keep the history alive and uh, certainly help prevent historical amnesia um, while celebrating a vibrant, thriving, continuing Jewish culture around the world. Um, So um, I'm an artist, obviously, and uh, I first want to say that Holocaust education through visual art is very uncommon, um, but it supports the belief that the lessons of the Holocaust can be learned and can be heeded. Uh, the continual arising of hate crimes and hate speech, anti-Semitism and racism requires us, is requiring us to do what we can. Um, no small or easy task, um, what I'm doing is I'm making art about what happened, uh, which um, is, is my way of uh, helping that it doesn't happen again. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit in addition to what Jeffrey said in his introduction about me and my art practice uh, and my motivation, how I came to know about this technique uh, that I use. And then I'm going to quickly give you a look at each piece uh, in the 18 work series that I've titled Beauty and Terror. Um, Beauty and Terror is all work about the Holocaust. Um, Each piece is supported by historical writing and research, memoir and biography, um, survivor testimonies, statistics, maps, documentary film, articles, things like this. Um, Holocaust and Jewish museums focus on a range of preset priorities and although In a Holocaust museum or a Jewish museum, you might see uh, artwork by survivors um, made before, during, or after the Holocaust. It is surprising and unusual to discover contemporary visual art about the Holocaust in these places. Um, I have been showing my work predominantly in not Jewish-focused exhibition spaces. Um, I have a commercial gallery that represents me. Um, I have work in the museums and such. And it's surprising to find this kind of content there as well. But it has been very well received. And I feel like perhaps this is the right venue for it. So Jeffrey, we can go to the next slide. So this is a picture of me working on one of my pieces. Um, I as Jeffrey said, I'm formally trained. I have a degree in painting and drawing, but I have worked with many different materials over the past 40 years. Um, I unexpectedly happened upon this yarn painting technique uh, in my teaching, um, and it completely hijacked my practice, which at the time was wood carving. I had been wood carving for, I don't know, five or seven or nine years, I can't remember. Uh, and hammering thin sheet metal on top of my wood carvings with thousands of tiny little escutcheon pins, uh, an equally obsessive kind of technique. Um, but at the same time I learned about this technique, I became—I began what became a deep dive into learning about the Holocaust. Um, and I've been pressing string into wax almost every day now for 15 years. And it took me 13 years to complete Beauty and Terror, which I finished just at the end of last year. So it is complete. So I make the work by cutting thousands of tiny little pieces of colored string and I press them one at a time into the wax and the wax surface acts as an adhesive. Um, I did retire from teaching at the end of the pandemic. uh, And so I am working a little faster but each piece can take up to six months. So they they take a long time. The surface is basically obsessively crafted. The entire surface is covered with string um, and the beautiful colors and the free shapes of the art help to carry the difficult content, um, which in this case is the Holocaust. Um, And as you'll see, the series, Includes both familiar and lesser known events and crimes, aspects and stories of the Holocaust, uh, as well as um, heroic acts of resistance and stories of redemption. It is by no means a complete view. I chose these 18 aspects. You would choose a completely different 18. Um, There were thousands and thousands and thousands of atrocities and these the particular ones sat with me a certain way um, that I was willing to give myself uh, four to six months to um, express my feelings about them. So we could go to the next slide. Let's see. I wasn't prepared for this one. Doesn't matter. Um, So I started the series in uh, 2009 with a piece titled Rose Colored Glass. This is uh, Bobby Yar. Um, But I had no idea that when I started it, that it would be a 13 year long art project. I had no intention. And I started it because I Googled, I simply Googled a question um, looking for testimony or writing or interviews with uh, any aging Nazi perpetrator or their children uh, talking or writing about their experiences. And I expected it to be anonymous, but um, I was really looking for uh, information like that. And at the very top of my feed were multiple Holocaust denial websites, many like maybe eight, they were just one after another. And it took scrolling um, to even get to uh, Yad Vashem. So, or anything that would give me anything else. Um, And it was more than concerning to me, it actually scared me. And so I made the first piece that ended up being in the series. Uh, And then it was Passover and, I was having family for Passover and I went to my local market, the Safeway, and I purchased one of those big five packs of matzahs along with all my other groceries. And when it came time to collect my groceries uh, in the bagging area, the bagging clerk just stared at me and the matzahs were completely out of my reach. And he had his body blocking me I could not, without contorting my body, reach across and retrieve the matzahs. He would not touch them. He would not pass them to me. He just glared at me. And those five seconds or 10 seconds, I realized this was an aggressive, this was aggressive. And so I made a piece number two. So we can go forward. This is actually rose-colored glass. This was the piece that I made uh, first, and it's uh, the modern Berlin skyline and the the tracks and a rose-colored glass across. We can go on. Um, So after the event with the uh, matzah, I, I made piece number two, and I think this was piece number two. Uh, and at the time, I didn't know that Kamianets Podilski was the town of my grandfather and his family, um, which is just very surprising to me when I, I found that out. I just found that out in 2019. So it's a kind of a simple piece, more like a sign, so to speak. So we can go forward. Um I am not a Holocaust survivor. I'm not a child of survivors or grandchild of survivors. I am Jewish. Um, As Jeffrey said, as children, my grandparents came to the United States. I grew up in a middle-class Jewish household. Um, No one talked about the Holocaust. I was bat mitzvahed. I went to Sunday school. I went to Hebrew school. I was confirmed. I was involved in my synagogue's youth group all the way through high school. Uh, My parents regularly went to synagogue. I knew that the Holocaust had happened, but I only had a very general understanding of what happened. I knew the statistics and I knew the slogans to never forget and never again. These slogans were impressed on me. I knew the importance of supporting Israel. That was very clear but nothing specific was ever presented to me or presented in a way that reached me, um, including in my good public high school and in my history classes. You know, we never had much time for um, World War II. Um, I certainly accept that no one wants to be defined by the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And I understand that adults generally want to protect children from horrible things, but I really don't know how it missed me. Um, unfortunately, you can't you can't never forget what you don't know. Um, so the 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 slogan was not uh, useful, really. Um, I felt an urgency to start the series because I was, equal parts shocked and angry at how much I didn't know in a way like Ursula Duba. Um, And I continued to make the work because if I, as a Jewish person with a Jewish education, didn't really know, then I I was convinced that so many other people didn't know. And also once I started, I I, I just, I couldn't stop. Uh, We could go forward. So this is a detail, a close detail. This is a little manicure scissors so you can see the surface. And from a distance, up close, you can see that it's string, um, but from a distance and maybe from a middle distance, they they look like paintings. Uh, They can look like mosaics or tapestry or weavings or embroidery or collage. Um, And because my subject matter is difficult, and many people might elect not to look. Um, I'm actually trying to make the most beautiful thing I can to entice the viewer to step in close and then to stay there long enough to take in the meaning. Um, I install beside each piece a paragraph of text that um, describes the event in short order, it gives the main. Um, facts, uh, or gives a bit about the story or gives background. So there is text, The int- my intention is that there is text beside each piece. So we can go forward. This is a, a detail of a work in progress titled T4. Um, and this is basically my order of operations. Um, I get an idea, the ideas come from all different kinds of places, uh, I do my research, I, I'm i not a historian per se, you know, I don't have a degree in history and I'm, I don't have special access to material, um, but I do my homework and once I decide on an event I look at it from multiple sources as best I can, look for testimony. Um, about the event if possible. Um, I want to get it right. Then I start to collect my images. I use symbolism. I want my images to make sense. The shapes of my pieces, the majority of them are meaningful and are related um, to the content. I draw out my design on a piece of plywood. I cut it out with a jigsaw. I do the cutting myself. Um, And once it's cut out, I prepare the surface, which is a beeswax mixture. Um, I mix the wax with a few other things so that the surface is three things sticky, uh, pliable and strong, because the wax is the adhesive. This string is just stuck to the surface. It's not glued or sewn or uh, permanently. Um, connected. It's the stickiness uh, of the surface that holds the string. Um, speaking about the spring string, a lot of my string is old. I love the vintage string from Europe. Some of it was manufactured at the time of the war, um, but I do use new string and yarn. I take yarn apart if there's color or uh, texture that I need. Um, I take fabric apart sometimes. I'm always on the hunt for old string. Um, The colors are different. The textures are different. The materials are different. And my connection to the fiber uh, is very important. The physicality of touching these materials and using these materials. Uh, And then once I decide on my color, palette and my scheme and I have the colors I need, I start to press. And you can see in this picture, there's a chopstick there. Uh, and that little chopstick um, is what I use to press the string. And I I used one chopstick for about 10 years and it finally broke. So this is my new chopstick. I've been using it for about five years. Um, and then when it's done, I Roll. I roll it and press it, especially when it, if a piece is gonna be exhibited to make sure that all the ends are pressed down so we can go forward. Uh, this again is a detail of a work in progress of a piece titled Veldiv. Um, I'm gonna just take a minute and I'm gonna read a very lightly edited text that accompanies this piece. Um, you can find all the, the text on my website Um, Actually, I'm going to have you, let me see, Um, go to the next slide, let's see if the whole piece is in the next slide. Yeah, here we go. So this is the piece uh, completed Valdiv, uh, and I'm just going to read through its one paragraph of text. Uh, Beginning at 4 a.m. on July 16, 1942, French authorities instructed French police to round up and arrest all Jews in Paris. They arrested over 13,000 people. They were held in extremely crowded conditions at the Velodrome d'Hiver, a professional bicycle racing arena, one block from the Eiffel Tower. About 6,000 Jews were taken to a transit camp and onto Auschwitz the following day, leaving 7,000 people inside at Veldiv in extreme heat, without water, food, or working toilets. After five days in these conditions, they were taken to three different concentration camps near Paris. At the beginning of August, all remaining Jewish adults were taken, being forced to leave their children, ages 16 and under, behind. These 3,000 remaining children were sent alone and pushed with strangers into packed rail cattle cars to their deaths in Auschwitz from these camps. The youngest was 18 months old. And when you see these little cherubs in Renaissance art or Baroque art, these little putti, these little cherubs, um, they are in this piece and in other of my work because it indicates indicates the uh, presence of God. So we can go forward. This is a picture of a four-year-old girl named Francine I happened upon this photo very early in my reading and my studying, and it absolutely broke my heart. Um, Her name is Francine. I've later learned, although I haven't had it confirmed that her last name is Beric, was Barrick, which happens to be a family name uh, in my family. Um, Francine died in Auschwitz after being in Valdiv. Uh, I myself have two children and I cannot Imagine the trauma and the pain of this. And I keep her photo up. We can go next. So I'm an artist, but I am also a teacher. Um, I was a teacher. I taught for actually 40 years in a variety of settings. I started off teaching at the college level in 1989 and ended my teaching career Uh, teaching grades first through nine in a private trilingual Montessori school in Oakland, California. Um, I also had my own visual art studio school, as Jeffrey said, uh, called Art Makers for about 10 years. But with COVID, I just decided it was time to stop. Um, So during my time teaching elementary and junior high at the Renaissance School, I chaperoned Uh, many international trips. We took one each year so the kids could be immersed in Spanish or French. uh, And we did go to New York City one trip, so English. Uh, One year we took a trip, an art trip uh, to Oaxaca, Mexico. And this was, I had only been teaching for one year and uh, became part of this trip and planning this trip. And before we went, I presented all the techniques that we would see and experience to the students, black clay, weaving, dot painting, the alabrijes and bark painting. And in researching and designing the curriculum around the trip, I discovered yarn painting, which is practiced by the Huichel Indians of Northern Central Mexico, so not right in Oaxaca. Their practice includes a spiritual component which relates to their art, and we learned about that too. Um, this was in two thousand and six. Um, and I don't know if any of you have ever used yarn and glue uh, as a technique. Many art teachers do this. Um, it's a disaster. People do it because of yarn, the color and the the tactileness and the 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 beauty of it. Um, but you use it and it sticks to your fingers and it doesn't stay down and it's a big mess and it's very frustrating uh, for children. Um, And I always thought there must be a better way and here it was. So I learned about this technique, I experimented with it, I figured out how best to teach it and honestly, it was completely transformative. It turns out that sitting under a glowing lamp pressing colorful yarn into a soft honey-scented beeswax can honestly change an entire room of post-lunch recess, energetic individuals into creative, singularly focused, calm people. And it worked for me too. This is a student I had, Olivia, and the way she's working, the entire room is filled with, students who look like this and working like this. Um, So making this work is a healing activity. It's a healing activity for me personally. It's meditative, it's centering, it's sensual. Um, And honestly, after immersing myself into these horrific examples of the utter terribleness of people, this process honestly restores me basically to myself. So we can go on. This is T4 in its completion. You saw the um, my order of operations slide was this. Um, so going forward, I'm just gonna show you um, each of the remaining pieces that are in the series. Um, And if you had specific questions later, you can certainly ask me. Um, I'll just say about this piece, this is very large. It's like four by four feet. And it's just a luscious, beautiful garden um, that ends in dead, burnt sticks at the end. We can go forward. This is Harvest Festival. Um, I happen to love still life painting, and this is uh, a first example of using still life painting related to this event, action. We could go forward. Uh, White Rose, this is a fairly known um, uh, group of University of Munich. Students who resisted. And um, I just recently read that the last survivor of the White Rose, um, she recently died. She was 103. Her name was uh, Trouta Lafrenz. She helped them uh, by getting the chemicals and the ink for their pamphlets. She was arrested, um, but she managed to survive because she was imprisoned awaiting uh, execution when. Uh, She was liberated. We could go forward. Uh, This is the Ponari rifleman. Um, Zola talked about her grandfather just a little bit ago, that he was one of the first, that he was taken from his home and taken to the Ponari forest um, and killed with um, 70,000 other Jews there. Um, Very sorry about that. It's a terrible event. Um, And this piece is all the flowers that um, exist in the border are all native wildflowers that are found in the area, um, except for those four roses that are on the side. But these are, most of them are tiny little flowers, but you know, people picnicked and skied and they spent a lot of time uh, in this beautiful area where they came to their deaths. We could go forward. Morning till evening, this is about a uh, pogrom that happened after the war. Um, Big reason why there are basically no, very, very few Jews in Poland now. People tried to go home and, well, you probably know, we could go forward. Uh, Iyashi, this is uh, about a train journey that uh, never left Romania. It was all the Romanians we could go for. These are are medals that the Romanians uh, created and awarded to Germans for their uh, bravery and courage. This is called Rat Lines. This piece is about the secret escape routes uh, that the high ranking Nazis took um, to escape Germany. Uh, sorry about that, and um, it is about six feet tall. It's the size I wanted it to be—the size of a, I mean, I I say man, a, a tall, imposing figure, and and it is. And this piece is is going to be exhibited uh, next month. We can go forward. This is a detail of my piece uh, Lorenzo's Primo. You can I put this in so that you can see um, the photographic portraits are at the top. I'm working from them uh, on my piece here. This was my first attempt at uh, portraiture uh, with the string. (laughs) I am a painter. You know, I approach my work like a painter. I mean, I'm trained as a painter. uh, so, you know, I see the string, I use the different colors, they optically mix, so you, I can't mix the string like I can mix paint, so I have to lay the string down in a certain way so that the colors and the values will mix to help give form uh, to the shapes that I make. We could go forward. Here's the completed piece um, called Lorenzo's. Primo, many of you might know the story, Uh, Primo Levi uh, survived in Auschwitz simply because this very humble, modest, illiterate Italian slave laborer brought him a small amount of bread and soup every day for five months, secretly hiding it and at great risk to himself. Hence, we have all of Primo Levi's incredible writing. Um, This piece was in Fiber Art Now, which is a fantastic fiber art publication. Uh, It traveled as part of that exhibition to the New Bedford Museum of Art in Massachusetts. I think it either closed last week or closes this week. We can go forward.
9: Uh, Odessa. We can go forward.
12: Uh, Treblinka. Very heartbreaking, all the reading and what happened here. Absolutely terrible. We can go forward. Uh, This is Yosefov. um, uh, About police battalion 101, which Um, is worth reading about. Can go forward. Uh, This is Volari. It's about a death march uh, of women marched, most of them, to their deaths in the winter, uh, despite it being obvious that the war was going to be over. Uh, We can go forward. Failure of justice. Um, I did a lot of reading about this, Um, you know, it says it all, you know, by 1958, most imprisoned Nazis had been freed. We can go forward. This is my last slide. This is called, I do not say you are lying. I say, I do not believe you. Um, Jan Karski is getting some well needed, long overdue attention for his efforts to tell the world uh, what was happening to the Jews in Poland and around Europe. He had meetings with US Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter. He met with Roosevelt um, and was unsuccessful uh, at getting his uh, mission accomplished. and um, yeah, Judith, who's going to be speaking next, her cousin Schmoel um also very uh, took a very strong voice at trying to tell the world what happened, even before Karski um, worth looking at both of these men in their efforts. Um, I will say that bearing witness, you know, to witness something and to essentially not be believed or to be discounted is a very powerful human experience, um, worth exploring. And I will say that I've been asked to jury a Saqua textile show in the fall, which is a great honor. Um, the theme of the show is bearing witness. So content matters. It's beginning to gain a little traction in the art world, um, which is very heartening. Um, I want to make a shout out before I close to Mirka Naster. She's here in the audience. She is a very fine uh, writer, fiber artist, thinker. She's my friend. And she and I had a conversation many years ago, and she said to me, you know, Robin, you're a fiber artist, because I had never thought of myself this way. I had uh, just thought of myself as an artist, and she said that to me, and she said, you know, you could look into, you could feel how that feels, thinking of yourself that way, and looking into the fiber world, because the fiber world has really um, taken on the breadth of human expression using fiber. Anyway, if it wasn't for that conversation that Mirka and I had, um, I'm not sure my work would be in all the places that it is, that it has been, and that are upcoming, and that the work is gaining an audience in the visual art world, um, in part, thanks to Mirka. So um, just a shout out to that. And um, as a last, you know, thing that the, these pieces they memorialize aspects of human nature is what they do. The Holocaust, as an example, because they these event kinds of things have happened many times in many places. Um, it's important to hold these kinds of things up to the light and including visual art in education. Um, i th- I think it's a worthy pursuit. Anyway, thank you very much.
4: <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, first, if you have if you can come on, Mirka, we'd like to say see you and say hello. And so if you put your camera on so we could see you. but i I am so pleased that. When i saw your art and i asked you and found you to come and to present here and you're here today i think what you're doing is just another mitzvah that you can present the holocaust in a completely and i look for ways to present the holocaust education in unique ways uh, different than i was brought up with bones and uh, black and white photography so i thank you for what you're doing i thank you for bringing education to the world. It's just quite amazing. I, I can't put my head around how you can uh, do what you're doing, but it's been nine months on one piece. I, I can't spend five minutes without getting impatient. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's really good. And there you go, Mirla. Um, we want to say hello Here, to America. you. Well, Mirka, thank you for I'd coming. I'd like to
2: say thank you uh, to Rob and I loved your presentation. I, I wanted to, if it's okay, I'm going to take just a minute to say how I found out about Robin's work, Please, um, I was, uh, I was reading the J, which is the Jewish newspaper for Northern California. And I saw that there was an exhibit. And I thought, wow, I have to go to that. So I went to the exhibit, and I was completely blown away. I was so impressed by the work, the research that went into it that I had to make contact with the artist. And so I found out how to reach Robin and I called her and we talked on the phone for two hours the first time because I assumed in order to do a project like that, she had to be a child of survivors like I am. And she said, no, and she told you her story of how little she knew of the Holocaust in St. Louis. Anyway, we've been friends ever since and um, I'm in such admiration of her incredible work, the time and the effort that goes into every single aspect of it. And when you see it in person, like she said, it's so beautiful, each piece is so beautifully executed in, in color, especially that you have, to, you have to walk in close. You're seeing all these beautiful flowers and colors. You have to walk in close, and then you find out what the real story is behind it. So I think she's um, providing an incredible service to art goers.
4: America, and tell us a little bit about your background. How did, what, is, what are you?
2: Um, my parents were the only survivors of their families in Poland. I was born in Bari, Italy, we lived in a DP camp. And we came to the US instead of South America, which was the first ship that was available. Because um, one of my mother, my mother had two uncles that had left, oh, I don't know, 1890 and then 1905. And so one of them became our sponsor. And that's how I wound up Growing up in the United States, what,
4: what career did you have?
2: Um, initially, I was academic. I um, I was I became fluent in several Romance languages. Uh, Yiddish was the first language, then English. Uh, my parents spoke Polish to each other when they didn't want me to understand, and I bet other people here had a similar kind of experience. Um, And so I was in languages and um, I wound up doing academic research. Uh, Then I wound up in the alternative healthcare field. I've written for a lot of uh, magazines and I've written books. And then I became a fiber artist uh, unexpectedly. And when I saw Robin's work, I said, Robin, those strings that you're working with are fiber why don't you apply to some of these exhibits? And she did, and of course, her work got in. I'm very <laughs> proud of her.
4: Beautiful story, <laughs> and we'd love to invite you to join our group. If you're interested, just put your uh, send me a direct chat uh, with your email address, and I'll get you on our notification list. So I'm gonna continue the program yes, with another please. with another uh, Ursula Duba before we get to another best friend of mine, uh, Judith Tellerman from Chicago. Um, so, the poem that I'm going to read now is Who Knew the Murderers? Where, where, where are you? From the Auschwitz survivor who was given a lecture on the importance of hearing story, stories of survivors. She asks me after I tell her how I moved, how moved I was by her words. Germany, I tell her, Germany, she asks, how did you survive? I'm not Jewish, I answer. The Auschwitz survivor looks me straight in the eyes and asks, well, what did your father do? During the Hitler regime. My father wasn't a member of the Nazi Party and managed to avoid the draft, I answer. What about your uncles? She wants to know that were they not weren't they Nazis either? I replied, they weren't. What did they say about after what did they say about it after the war? She wants to know. They didn't know about it, I tell her. It's interesting, she says. I never met a German whose father, uncle, neighbor, colleague, superior, was involved in the killing, or even knew about it. How was it done, she asks, looking at me intently. Tell me, how do you kill six million people with only a handful of participants, and hardly anybody knowing you need lots of, or hardly anybody knowing. You need lots of people, she says, to kill six million, lots of people, she repeats. It wasn't done with just a handful of thugs. It took thousands of people. What am I saying? Hundreds of thousands of people to do the killing? Think about it. Six million. That's a lot of people to kill, even with technology and efficiency the Germans master. Ever since, I've been wondering what my father and uncles knew about friends, neighbors, colleagues, who my teachers participated or knew, who printed the laws declaring the non Aryans were no longer allowed to live in their homes, own their businesses, practice medicine, teach, hold any kind of job, or print the laws forbidding Jews to, to be outside of their homes after eight in the evening, use a telephone, go to the theater or movies, eat at restaurants, own pets, purchase flowers, have a smoke, use a typewriter, own fur coats. Who distributed the laws and the regulations all over Germany, from the largest cities to the smallest hamlets? Who translated them into different languages? Who shipped them to many different countries in Eastern Europe? Who manufactured the signs for the beaches and parks to carrying dogs and Jews are not allowed? Who took over the homes, the businesses, the medical practices, teaching positions, and jobs of millions of non-Aryans? Who wrote the long meticulous list as to who was a gypsy, a homosexual, a quarter Jew, a half a Jew, a full Jew? Who knew what the long lists were used for? Who wrote the arrest orders to be carried out in the middle of the night? Who worked out of the complicated, who worked out the complicated train schedules of so many trains going east, day and night, converging at the same destinations? who, sold, who sewed the prisoner uniforms for the millions? who did research about the most efficient ways of mass extermination? Who collected de- the data from this research, made comparisons, who made decisions, what methods to employ, and who were the scientists who devised unimaginable experiments on human beings? who evaluated the experiments, who wrote the reports, who typed them, who signed them, who filed them, who wrote the purchase orders for the implements of mass destruction, Who who manufactured the chemicals used for the killing, who manufactured the gas chambers, who shipped them east, who did the billing to the government? What did my parents know? Who of my aunts and uncles, teachers and neighbors knew? Who knew? Well, on that note, I'm going to uh, spend a second to introduce uh, my friend, Judith Tellerman. And Judith, uh, hold on one second. Judith Tellerman was born in Brooklyn, New York to Holocaust survivor parents, Morris and Carol Tellerman, went on to achieve an illustrious career as a doctor in clinical psychology. She's from Chicago. She's earned many governmental and international awards besides successful private practice uh, in Chicago and many different projects, programs she's involved in. Judas is a tremendous singer and composer. Judas Song Legacy, a commitment to honor and sanctify the memory of the victims of the Shoah, was commissioned by the International Gathering of Descendants of the Shoah and is in the collections of the Skirkball Museum in Los Angeles, California, the US Holocaust Museum in Washington. And Judith has received seven ASCAP Songwriter Awards. And so, on behalf of Judith, I'm going to share my screen. And we're going
9: to hold on a second. Mm (laughs) you <laughs>
4: Beautiful, and I want to uh, welcome you back, uh, Judith, to the program, and I know that uh, let me stop my screen share here. And um, let me find you. And I know that you're going to take the screen share and you're going to run your own program. So I want to uh, make that available to you. So go ahead. Judith, welcome to the program. You're back for second or third of, um, um, program with me. I'm thrilled. Uh, so welcome.
1: Thank you so much. It's been just wonderful. Zola, oh my god, unbelievable. And you, Robin, oh god, like Bezalel in the Bible. So Such a genius. Yeah, yeah. OK, so, or Bezalel, I don't know how you pronounce it. But you know, you get the point. Um, Okay, I'm going to begin with a quote. If you run from your past, you are just surviving, not living. As it says in Deuteronomy 2517, remember what Amalek did to you on your journey after you left Egypt. Since the enactment of Poland's 2018 Holocaust law that makes it a crime to claim that Poles were responsible or complicit in Nazi crimes, there is conflict between Poland and Israel because Poland has not come to terms with its persecution of the Jews. Published in h.com today, March 19th, 2023, on the internet, uh, University of Ottawa Professor and uh, Jan Grabowski and Shira Klein, an associate professor at Chapman University in California, report, for the last 10 years, Wikipedia editors have been promoting a skewed version of history on Wikipedia, whitewashing the role of Polish society in the Holocaust, minimizing Polish anti-Semitism, blaming Jews for their own persecution. They published their shocking conclusions in an article titled, wikipedia's intentional distortion of the history of the holocaust in the journal of holocaust research this distortion is going on all over the internet i recently read an article insinuating that jews were to blame for the pogrom of prasitek my own father morris tellerman was in that pogrom with his father mendel when the Poles, with cooperation of the Polish police, destroyed the entire Jewish community March 9, 1936, before the Nazis ever arrived. The violence and destruction of Jews by Poles and the seizure of Jewish property went on with impunity for many years before the Nazis invaded. David Velcher, my mother's father, was a victim of the Polish government and military. David Velcher was a Hasid, of the Rebbe of Lublin and a scribe, a businessman. He provided an affluent lifestyle for his devout family of seven children, with his wife, Pearl, now expecting their eighth, Carol, my mother. He was part of the great tradition of Hasidism, which originated in and emanated from the town of Chelm. Hasidic tradition records Eliyahu, Baal, Shem, chief rabbi of Helm in the 16th century, founding a Nistarim, a mystical brotherhood to offer physical and spiritual encouragement to the Jewish populace, from which Hasidism later emerged. Today in Poland, there is no record of David Velcher's assassination, and death, no matzeva, tombstone, no Jewish cemetery. This desolation before, during and after the show in Poland, is expressed by Tifa Grieber, Deep Graves, a Yiddish poem by Shmuel Halkin, adapted to an English song by me, and I'm going to play it now. I can find, I have to find the. okay,
9: here it is, all right.
10: Springtime cedars used to blossom
4: Have you ever seen so the next one. Okay. Um,
1: my mother Carol Velcher Tellerman was a brilliant, adorable fatherless child with cascading hair and bright eyes. The nuns in her Catholic school loved her and called her Jew with all the self assuredness of their superiority in a culture which demeaned the Jewish people. They chose her to sing solos of beautiful Polish songs and carols, to recite poetry, and to give a speech honoring their hero, then member of the Polish government, General Josef Haller, who enabled Poland's Wedding to the Sea on February 10, 1920, with the restoration of Polish independence and the port of Gdansk. He threw a platinum ring into the Baltic sea saying, I am marrying you forever and ever to the Republic of Poland. It was only later that Carol learned the horrible truth, one of many that broke her heart, but perhaps the sharpest cut to the heart of an innocent child lying helpless in the womb, surrounded by the comfort of her mother's body and yet vulnerable to the terrors of the world. She learned it was General Josef Haller, who assassinated her father, David Velcher. From his horse, he pierced him with his sword on September 16, 1922, 5682. He died on Salijo. In Chelm, the Jews were aware they had been abandoned by England who had promised Israel first at the San Remo Convention in 1920 and then with the Balfour Declaration. They sang a song about the betrayal. Carol sang the Yiddish song to me, who recorded the only known rendition of it, the Balfour Declaration. And here it is. <laughs> young women those are my cousins in Israel they were the picture was taken when they were in the army and um, the little boy is my cousin and now right now to this day he's in the army in Israel This cream is honestly a magic in a bottle. My skin is so baby soft and smooth. And I've also got
7: compliments yeah, that
1: actually coming. Other people would see
4: the difference. The video that your skin oh, is in top
5: Oh, my skin has honestly never
1: been. That's good. So sorry. I'm sorry about that. Um, okay. I thought it, I turned it off. Okay, you know how these things go. Can't keep up with it. Okay, so let's go to the next. One. Let's open up the next one. Okay, so. Um, Carol's mother, that's my mother's mother, Pearl Ziegelbaum Veltcher had a close relationship with her nephew, Arthur Schmuel Ziegelbaum and her sons had once rescued Arthur from the Polish police. When Carol was 15, Pearl passed away and now orphaned, Arthur Ziegelbaum buried her mother and brought her to the renowned Hasimir Chorale of Lodz, Poland since she had a beautiful soprano voice. A Jewish choir, Hasimir was founded in 1899 and was the preeminent choir in Poland, singing classical repertoire, including Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, Handel's Samson, Verdi's Requiem, and La Traviata in Yiddish, and Vivaldi's Four Seasons. The last remnants of the choir performed in the Lodz ghetto in 1941. Carol was the youngest member, and they called her their little titsula, their little one. Carol learned a Yiddish site song that was written to the melody of Chopin's funeral march by Hazimir, and she taught it to me. So I recorded, I think this is the only known rendition of it, as far as I know, and here it is.
5: I would shine in my home.
1: In 1999, the Zamir Chorale of Boston made a PBS documentary to retrace the path of the Hazamir of Lodge. Carol narrated part of the video and later in Florida sang with Zamir this haunting song of a mother holding her child in the midst of the Shoah. So personal to Carol, whose 13 month old daughter Pearl died in her arms never seen by her husband Morris, my father, who was fighting in the siege of Leningrad and who liberated Maidonic concentration camp.
9: One of the
13: great uh, pleasures that we had during our tour to Eastern Europe was to meet one of the members of the original Zamir Corral, which started in 1899 in Lodz, Poland. Well, this young lady sang in the Zamir Choral in Lodz in the 1930s. She was then still a teenager, but we got to meet her a few years ago and made this wonderful connection that links us to our past. I'm pleased to tell you that she is here with us tonight to share with us a wonderful song that she sang as she escaped the Nazi menace, as she escaped to the East. This is the song that kept her going. It is a lullaby, but a very unusual lullaby written by a Zamir conductor by the name of David Bagelman. He wrote it for the Jews in the Lodge Ghetto and it reflected the unfortunate circumstances that they faced. This is what the mothers sang to their children. It is my great privilege and please join me in welcoming Carol Tellerman to our stage.
9: After the
1: Shoah in the Felda Displaced Persons Camp, Carol learned the song Ghetto by Kasril Broido, who who was in the Vilna Ghetto that uh, Zola spoke about earlier, and in fact Zola showed a picture of Kasril Broido, who was drowned in, in the frozen sea by the Nazis. Carol learned the song from her cousin, Abraham Ziegelbaum an actor and a brother of Arthur Schmulzegelbaum. In 1998, age 75, Carol sang ghetto at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. The occasion was a ceremony by the Polish Secretary of State to posthumously award Arthur Schmulzegelbaum the Chancellor's Medal, the country's highest honor. This is a recording of her performance.
9: Was born in
14: 1922 in Helm. Start that. Carol Tellerman was born in 1922 in Helm, Poland. Having lost both of her parents, she became extremely close to her first cousin, Schmuel Ziegelboim and his family. They spent a great deal of time together and Schmuel, who was much older, looked after her, almost as if she were his own child. Fortunately, Carol survived the war and emigrated to the United States. Tonight, in honor of her cousin and our hero, she will sing a song entitled Ghetto, which was written in the Vilna Ghetto. This song was written by Kazriel Broido, who in January, 1945 was killed along with hundreds of other Jewish deportees as the German militia destroyed their ship near the Baltic port of Kenningsburg. Carol Tell- Tellerman first heard this song in 1946, when she was in the Feldafing Displaced Persons Camp near Munich.
5: Mm. You stay in by the wall, they do fall sea of the Mit the rock Hand, wie ein weinendes Gewölbe. Es fein, in der Weite Es scheint doch sein ein Welt noch zu macht zu Hallo es seid noch sei ein kluge
9: Give all up. mm <laughs> Thank you very much, Mrs. Steverman. That was
1: Miles Lehrman, who founded the Holocaust Museum. Speaking, Thanking my mother. Uh, that song, Ghetto, I will never forget you. Um, as Chairman of the Leather Workers Union, Secretary, National Council of the Jewish Trade Unions, and member Council of General Federation of Labor in Poland, Arthur Schmuel Ziegelbaum acted on behalf of Jewish and Polish working class members, having passed the first law to allow Jews to work in the trades in Poland. When the German army besieged Warsaw on October 1st, 1939, Arthur chaired the first meeting of the underground resistance movement in the Warsaw ghetto. The Germans ordered the Jewish community to set up a council of elders of the Jewish community of Warsaw, the Judenrat. The labor union was ordered to supply a member and Arthur was chosen. Since he was under Nazi surveillance, the underground helped him escape from the Warsaw ghetto, hoping he could reach the free world and as a member of the Polish government in exile, bring help to save the Jews of Warsaw. Arthur sent arms, lectured and wrote in the US and England, pleading with President Roosevelt and Winston Churchill broadcasting on the BBC to no avail. Finally, martyring himself in London according to the directive of the Underground to save the Jews even if it meant giving up his life. After the Shoah, Arthur's brother, Reuven, used to recite this poem, Chob Gzene Barg, A Mountain of Shoes, by Moshe Schulstein, here recorded by me. I was asked to record this poem by the director of the Holocaust Education Center of South Florida, Dr. Rosita Koenigsberg, for an exhibit. My father, Morris Tellerman, was a liberator of Majdanek and Rosita's father, Henry Ehrlich, was liberated there. So we we have that bond. And now,
9: here is A Mountain
1: of Shoes. And I I made this recording and I asked my mother for her approval because she used to hear Reuben and how he said it and she approved of my version. So I feel okay with it. I saw a mountain higher than Mount Blanc and more holy than the mountain of Sinai not in a dream it was real on this world it stood such a mountain I saw of Jewish shoes in my Donna such a mountain such a mountain I saw and suddenly a strange thing happened the mountain moved moved and the Thousands of shoes arranged themselves by size, by pairs, and in rows, and moved. Hear, hear the march, hear the shuffle of shoes left behind, that which remained from small, from large, from each and every one. Make way for the rows, for the pears, for the generations, for the years, the shoe army, it moves and moves, we are the shoes, we are the last witnesses, we are shoes from grandchildren and grandfathers from Prague paris and amsterdam and because we are only made of stuff and leather and not of blood and flesh each one of us avoided the hellfire we shoes that used to go strolling in the market or with a bride and groom to the chuppah We shoes from staple Jews from butchers and carpenters from crochet booties of babies just beginning to walk and go on happy occasions weddings and even until the time of giving birth to a dance to exciting places to life or quietly to a funeral unceasingly we go we tramp the hangman never had the chance to snatch us into his sack of loot now we go to him let everyone hear the steps which flow as tears the steps that measure out the judgment I saw a mountain higher than mount blanc and more holy than the mountain of sinai well jeffrey i was going to end with um my my anthem legacy but you played it at the beginning so that's it that's my ending and um Uh, You know, I, what can I say
4: from my heart? Well, let me say that your legacy was not at the beginning and it shouldn't be at the end. It will be forever. And all I could think about is your Yiddishamama, as I could tell that you were uh, tearing up as well at times. And I can't imagine how difficult it must be to hear, both for you and Zola, to hear your uh, mother's voice Uh, in recording and you're so fortunate to be able to have such a legacy of recordings Uh, for those like for me personally I have no like my parents never spoke about anything in the war so you have a rich deeply emotive uh, background on which to uh, to share universally which is what you're doing which I think is terrific both all three of you um When I started to build this program almost a year ago now, I knew that I wanted an, a I wanted a really a, a powerful, different type of memorial Yom show program. And boy, this has been an amazing experience for me personally. Um, and I hope unfortunately um, not everyone was able to get in but who have this recording, and I know that it'll have a viral impact. And so I hope you'll be able to share uh, your program. And I I wanna open this to everyone now, uh, for if there's any Q and A. I also want to acknowledge the survivors who are in the audience with me. Uh, Devorah, I love your new hairdo. So uh, nice to have you. Uh, And Ruth Lindemann, nice to be with you. Sammy there in the corner, thank you. Um, And I know there are uh, others who will listen to the recording. So if there's anybody who wants to ask a question of the presenters, uh, now's the time, just raise your hand. We have a small group here. Um, If not, I will uh, conclude uh, and I'll I'll give um, Ruth, I I wrote you Ruth, I don't know if you saw my email from last night, but I know you sent me some poems from Palm Springs. You're welcome at this time to pick one if you want to and to share it. uh, If you choose, I don't wanna put you on the spot, but um, it would be a good time. We have a few minutes to do so. Okay.
8: Well, this is a a poem written uh, in the contest for the 2023 Holocaust Poetry and Artist Contest for the schools in the Palm Springs area. And the first place poem is from a middle school division. Her name is Mia Marvelous. She's the eighth grader, which probably makes her about 13 or 14. And this is what she wrote. Frozen in time. Mostly I remember the gunshots, loud and sharp as people ran in all directions, screaming, crying, soldiers yelling. And me, holding my mother's hand, Rushing through the streets, frightened like I had never been before. Heading toward I don't know where. Then Mama tripped, landing flat in the street, and I lost her hand. I stopped and turned. People around jostling me forward. I have never forgotten her face. White, panic-stricken, desperate. She cried out, run, my child, run. And so I did.
4: I know it's I know it's difficult so I don't want to put you that was was
8: the last time I saw my mother all the love tenderness and care of her trapped forever in that moment she told me to run to survive to remember and so I did (laughs) I've never done this
4: Okay, well, I, don't want to, I don't want to put you in an uncomfortable space, so take a break. Well,
8: Judith's music and the rest of you just it was so moving. I haven't seen a program like quite like this before, although I've seen a lot of them by now. Um, and thank you, everybody. I, I really have to go.
4: <laughs> well, I wanted to um, also acknowledge that uh, you celebrated your 90th birthday, so we keep on wanting to. Wish you a, a happy birthday and many, many more. So uh, that's terrific. And Sammy, you had a, you raised your hand earlier. What do you have to contribute?
9: Sammy? Can you hear me, Sammy? Sammy, unmute yourself, please.
4: There you go. Huh?
9: Okay. I uh, just wanted to make a comment. I wanted to,
3: To thank you for uh, putting together such uh, wonderful programs, okay, Uh, very honored to be with you, and uh, this is absolutely one a panel of wonderful, wonderful people, okay, and uh, kudos to everybody, okay, and uh, together uh, we are making hopefully uh, working together to make this a better world, a kinder one. with less hate. So, thank you again for everybody.
4: Okay, and anybody else who wants to get on camera, it's great if we'd be able to see you so we could see you and if you have any questions or comments, let me ask you, um, Devorah, is Abba a relative of yours, Abba Caspi? You have to unmute yourself. yourself. Uh, Yes, he's my husband. Oh, and he sings
2: with Samir Carell of Okay,
4: one. terrific. Because I see him, yeah, he's on, but he's not on camera. Okay, getting some feedback there. Okay, and Mark 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 Mark. Mark, Mark,
0: Mark, Mark, Mark. Mark, Mark,
4: Better mute all of us. Okay, yeah, Mark, nice to see you. And I wanted to make sure everyone saw that you said that your, your mother was in the Lodge ghetto. And you know the music that was presented today you just closed your eyes and you thought about your mother, which I thought was a beautiful contribution in chat. So thank you
3: i was I was very moved by this program. Zola always moves me. The passion and caring is just incredible. Judith, your voice was just unbelievable. And Robin, what an intriguing and interesting way of preserving the story. Um, I'm just truly touched. Uh, I, I am the son of Holocaust survivors from Ludge. They never really, as Jeff knows, they never really told me about my my history. They never really talked about it. I knew I was a, you know, they were Holocaust survivors. And when I did learn the truth by accident of what it was like, I tried to preserve what I could in my novels about the Ludge Ghetto. But when you have artwork and songs, it is such a more immediate thing than trying to get people to read books. And so I'm very grateful that you shared with us today. Thank you. And thank you, Jeffrey. I'm just honored to be part of this group. Thank you.
4: Thank you. All right. Well, I'm going to read one more poem to exit us out from uh, Ursula, uh, which is a very powerful poem. I think it'll be a good third program to leave us with. Uh, Hold on a second. Words. Bold letters on top of a page declare the newsletter is dedicated to all those who perished in the Holocaust. A German Gentile now living in the U.S. is proud of his efforts to pay homage to the victims of the Shoah on the anniversary of Kristallnacht. But I am disturbed by the words perish. In this dedication, it conjures up images of people dying in earthquakes, in a storm out open in the sea, in a hurricane or a tornado. The word perish perish does not tell me about the open ditches rapidly filling up with corpses. Of innocent men, women, and children shot by members of the Einsatzgruppen or the Wehrmacht. It doesn't allow me, doesn't show me the piles of emaciated bodies deliberately starved to death. It doesn't show me SS guards who used their victims for target practice, nor does it display the twisted bodies of people who died in the hands of doctors who performed cruel experiments in the names of science. There are no gas chambers, crematorium, or perpetrators. Weren't you safe gypsies and non-Aryans murdered? I asked the German man. Yes, of course, the victims of the Holocaust were murdered. He answered, taken back. But my question, but this word sounds so aggressive, he adds with dismay. After several days of back and forth, the German man decides to delete the entire sentence on the top of the newsletter, rather than using the word murdered in his dedication of the victims of the Shoah. While discussing this, with several friends, we, took, we take note that a lengthy article in the leading magazine has recently informed us of most of the victims of the, of the genocide in Rwanda had been hacked to death by their Hutu neighbors. No euphemisms here. As to how these victims died on discussing the 3 million Cambodians who died in the killing fields, the language is quite clear. They were starved to death and were brutally murdered by the Khmer Rouge. On further probing, no one suggests John F. Kennedy or Martin Luther King perished, both were assassinated. A few weeks later, I asked a Holocaust survivor, what words would properly describe the actions by which 6 million died? They were exterminated, he says, without any hesitation. This word immediately reminds me of my first months in the United States in an apartment in Brooklyn and the discovery of cockroaches In my kitchen cupboards honey my next-door neighbor had told me then look in the yellow pages under exterminator recently i heard mike wallace of 60 minutes refer to all those who were were lost in auschwitz the word lost makes me think of my fear of getting lost in foreign cities on my travels abroad even maps are limited value in those countries who use different alphabets the word also conjures calls of images of thick forests where hapless travelers get lost. i reminded of the story of Hansel and Gretel, which used to make me appreciate the safety of our cramped house when I was a child. What with the twice a day roll calls, the meticulous record keeping by German and Austrian concentration camp commanders, the chances of being lost in Auschwitz or any other concentration camp was very slim, my dear Dahlia explained to me, whose mother was gassed on the very first day of arrival in Birkenau. And these three poems that I read are from Ursula Duba's recently published book, Germany, the Legacy of Bystanders, Cowards, Informers, Desktop Murderers and Executioners. And the book is available on Amazon. And I highly recommend this is the third book that um, Ursula has published. So I wanna thank you all. I'm honored that you have joined me here today for what is a fabulous program. I want to let you know on our, on April 16th and April 23rd, there are two other additional homoshoa show programs that I've been working on that will be as good if, uh, if not equal to as great as the programs that you saw here today. Um, and I will see you uh, soon, and thank you for coming. I'm honored to have you all as friends. Uh, so take a look at the JCR now dot com website where I'm hanging out and I'm publishing uh, content on 15 different channels. Everything Jewish every day. So I want you to come and join, and you'll get your uh, newsletter every week to see what's going on in the pro in in the content. So thank you very much, everyone. Bye bye now.
1: Yeah thank you.